Again, everyone, uh, this is Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is episode 36 of Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills. Uh, the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about public speaking, and I'm going to be with some of my students again, and I'm here with Julie today, who's going to help us talk about the basic principles of public speaking. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, hi, Rob. Thank you for that introduction. So as Rob had mentioned, I'm talking about the art of public speaking. And public speaking is essentially one person addressing many, and it's often a live audience. So I want to talk about this first principle of public speaking because it seems to be one of the most daunting, if not the most daunting task one would ever have to do in their lives. Public speaking is a special occasion, and um, people might think of it as a daunting task because they don't practice it as much as interpersonal communication or small group or even writing. So if you mess up, you mess up in front of a crowd and that can be embarrassing for some people. So there are five principles that we will cover today and we'll start with extemporaneous speech. So this kind of speech is practiced and prepared but not read or memorized. So um, when we are doing a presentation for classes or we are asked to do a presentation for class, it's always interesting who you are paired up with in a group. So the group that I was um, kind of put in, these two um, women did not, um, were really not comfortable with public speaking at all. So they're the type of people that would rather do anything the public speak. And they told me um, just kind of straight up that they were going to um, read from a paper. And that's what they did. They typed up paragraphs and paragraphs of um, just, uh, words and they just read it from the paper and it was not extemporaneous at all. Um, during the presentation the class was very bored, um, they weren't engaged and when I went up to present um, I didn't have many notes, I don't think I had any notes at all and I just um, presented in an extemporaneous style and afterwards my professor said to me that like um, it seemed like I had practiced a lot um, um, over and over again. But the thing with public speaking is that if you practice too much, then it seems um, inauthentic and um, really not something that people can engage in because um, it seems like it is practiced too much. So extemporaneous speech is very um, valued in public speaking because of this. So we, I, uh, this is the number one principle because it's the thing that students most often screw up and it's at the core of the insights of all these uh, these podcasts also. I think at the very first episode I said, it's not did you get it, it's what effect have you had. That's the question of communication. When someone reads what they're doing, if they just take a script up in front of an audience and read from the script, they're making the assumption that the content that's in the script has to be delivered to the audience, and that is the most important feature of the communicative interaction, when it's not. So if public speaking is in front of a live audience, there's a possibility for connection or um, a possibility for uh, establishing a relationship with an audience that you're uh, kind of refusing if you only if you just read the text in front of them. So the reason that extemporaneous speaking is the preferred mode is because it allows you to kind of be uh, clear and 
careful about what you want to say, but it doesn't make that content more important than establishing a connection with an audience. Uh, it allows you to naturally react to or react with or connect with an audience in a way that just reading doesn't. So the rule of thumb is that unless you have a teleprompter, unless you're so important that you have a teleprompter, do not read because you're missing out on an opportunity to affect an audience and to establish a kind of relationship with that audience. So, okay, what's the next principle, Julie? So the second principle is balancing clarity and precision with beauty and eloquence. So the audience needs to understand the speaker, which is clarity and precision, but they also need to be emotionally affected by the speech in order for the speech to be um, effective. So there's an emphasis in the little ed education that we get in public speaking to speak um, with clarity and precision, but not beauty and eloquence. And this um, kind of goes with the trend in Western society, at least, that you need to appeal to people's rationality rather than, than their emotions. However, um, although we do focus a lot on clarity, clarity and precision, you get um, the output is that is boring um, teachers. Um, they're very intelligent. I respect them. But can you at least put some eloquence in what you're saying, some beauty, so you don't bore the class with um, the material that you're presenting? Because if if what you're saying isn't affecting students and if they're sleeping in your class, then what kind of effect do you have on your students? Um, so clarity and precision is important, yes, but beauty and eloquence is what draws the students in uh, when you're a teacher or draws your audience in as a public speaker. So I want to talk for a minute. I'm glad we're doing this today because I want to talk for a second about the Parkland students who have been all over the news lately. And hopefully we'll get a chance in an episode of the podcast later on to talk about how to achieve beauty and eloquence. But one of the main um, elements of speaking to achieve beauty and eloquence is the use of schemes, particular schemes of repeti repetition. And I don't know uh, who the teachers of those Parkland students were. I don't know if they have a formal education in public speaking or not. But so many of those kids seem to have brassed onto the, the technique of using schematic repetition and uh, what it does is that it amplifies, it adds a kind of stylistic dimension to a speech or to what they're doing. And it amplifies the kind of emotional resonance with the audience. And that's what beauty and eloquence can do that clarity and precision can't. So it's one thing to stand there clearly and say, I want to ban assault rifles. It's another thing to say that clearly and also establish an emotional connection with an audience. And attending to beauty and eloquence is the way in which you kind of also establish that emotional connection. And those Parkland kids are so, they are so good that they're a threat. <laughs> they're literally, you can watch the right squirming uh, under threat by the power of their speech. And that power is not just derived from the clarity and precision of their speech, although that's a component of it. It's also derived from the eloquence of, of their speech. Um, I don't remember the one girl's name who, um, there were two speakers yesterday that I saw that used an aphora, which is the repetition of a phrase at the beginning of a sentence, throughout their remarks. And it was extremely powerful and added kind of style and, and shape to what they were saying. So, uh, time to move on to principle number three. So, principle number three is to establish validity claims and value claims. So, validity claims are claims based on rational thinking again, whether something is true or false, and you know that your validity claim has hit home if your audience is nodding their head. 
a value claim is um, when the audience thinks there is, they decide whether your claim is good or bad, just or unjust, and it's a gut feeling that this claim is um, true, but I say true in the sense that um, they feel that it's true, not that they think that it's true. And also, it kind of addresses why the audience should care. So, they, why should they care um, logically and why they should care in their gut? So, um, I have this example here. So, Rob, have you heard of um, Hassan Minaj, the homecoming king? I think so. So, Hassan Minaj, he talks about <clears throat> excuse me, the, th the struggles of growing up as a brown second-generation Muslim child in a post-9-11 um, America. So he really related, I really related to this because um, he was, he is a second generation um, child in America or in the Western society, and I am also second generation. Um, but what really was amazing was that he, when he made his claims, so one of his jokes, so he's a comedian, one of his jokes was that um, his parents, as immigrants, would keep, um, big secrets from him. So the secret that he, his parents kept was that he suddenly had a sister that he didn't even know about and um, it's not like it was a stepsister, it was like a sister that his um, mom, his biological mom and his biological dad had. And um, I could relate to that because I could feel like um, there were some so as open communication with uh, maybe immigrant parents and their children, um, then maybe a uh, uh, third or fourth generation Canadian families would have. So he really had me laughing one minute, crying the next, and nodding my head and being like, wow, that what you said was so true, but it also felt it in my gut. So the, yeah, I, I do know this was a Netflix special, right? He's a stand-up comedian that does a whole Netflix routine on this, and he eventually goes to tries to go to the prom with a white girl or something, and the parents don't like it. I don't, I don't yeah. remember all of it, but the... So, um... Stand-up comedy is actually a great illustration of a public speaking, a genre of public speaking that involves both validity claims and value claims. The jokes only work if you can kind of not both nod your head and say, yeah, that does seem logical, but also feel the, the kind of punch of the joke. Um, I, I'll go back to the Parkland students for a second also as a second example because I can't stop thinking about them. Uh, that one CNN hosted a town hall the other night on television and man, I was proud of that kid. And there was one young man that stood on that stage three feet from Marco Rubio and he made a set of validity claims. You know, he made a set of claims about what's true and false, but he also made it about values. He, he, his response and a lot of those students response is that it's somehow morally repulsive or repugnant to them that someone would not want to privilege the safety of children over the Second, Second Amendment. So you have this debate now of whether or not the safety of, of school children is more important than the Second Amendment. That's what I mean by a value claim. Something, you know, you feel like one thing is really, really important. Um, and they did a, an admirable job, those kids, standing there and making both validity claims and value claims uh, about their position on, on gun violence. Um, so any kind of public speaking moment requires really both the validity claim and the value claim to work together. So what's that 
principle does that bring us to number four or five i don't remember so it brings us to number four so that's being aware of the context and responsive to the situation so in terms of um the parkland shooting the kids that were speaking out against that is responsive to the situation is responsive to the problem that um there's not a lot of control of guns in the united states right now and they want to stop that because kids are dying in schools and there's this is what the third or fourth shooting in America in 2018 and it's just the end of February. So um, bringing it back to the example that I brought up before, a um, little bit lighthearted I guess. <laughs> yeah, so stick with the comedians um, and not the school shootings. That's fine. It's my so, fault that we went to the school shootings. But no, it's, it's relevant just of today in your response to the situation. So Yes, yeah, they're both... <laughs> Yes. So, so Hassan Minaj, he understood the context of the situation and that he was talking to a Western society who, uh, which is filled with um, first and second generation immigrant children that have grown up and have shared the same st- uh, struggles. So comedians especially have to constantly adjust to the audience in order to establish value and validity claims. Because um, especially as a comedian, if you don't get the audience laughing, then it's um, a little bit of an awkward, embarrassing situation. So, um, but I'm not too sure about um, the, how, what, problem they would respond to as comedians and that's a question that I want to pose to you Rob so what kind of problem would a comedian respond to if there is well uh, the person I've been think the comedian I've been thinking about most lately is Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle has just I think three new uh Netflix specials that came out in the last six months or so mm-hmm. um and so in his own comedy is largely about race but then even in the show he has to to address the situatedness of the audience. So he'll say in the middle of his specials, there are a lot of white people in the audience and I can't remember which one it is, but there's a white couple sitting right in front and they laugh at one of the jokes about race. And like, he looks at them and you can see him as a public speaker struggling with how to make sense of the situatedness of those people. Um, And it's two white people in a row, other black people. And so he's got to, he's got to figure out how to respond to that. And, of course, Chappelle is very witty, and he has some clever responses. Um, but I'm saying here it's uh, responsive in, in two levels. Like, the routine in and of itself is about race, because I think Dave Chappelle is responding to the racial dynamics of North American society. But then it's also in the very moment of the speech, he witnesses and sees race when he looks out into the crowd and sees a white couple sitting next to a, a, in a row of black people. And he knows he, he has to be responsive to that situation. It's calling out for something to be said. So when we say um, public speaking is a situational art, what we mean is that there's always something that's happening in front of us that's calling the speaker, calling for the speaker to address it, to respond to it. Um, and, you know, all I would say all good comedy is always responsive to the moment in, in that way. Uh, I think lots of people are struggling right now in some way, it's really easy. Donald Trump is so easy to make fun of, but it's also brought up questions about what comedy is good for because comedians are struggling with how to respond to uh, how Trump behaves because they can make easy kind of jokes about Trump being an idiot, which he is, uh, or 
they can make more complex critiques of the situation within which the jokes are arising. Uh, I think Dave Chappelle's a little better at the latter. Um, and then different, I mean, different comedians are responsive in different ways and are differently better able to be responsive to those situations. Uh, but that's true of all public speaking situations. All public speaking is situational. Let me put it like that. Okay. So does that example, the, have you seen the Chappelle? I have not. Okay. They're, they're good. He's, okay. It's very, it's contextual and responsive to context. So That will be my weekend then. Yeah, he makes fun of Bill Cosby too, and the, <laughs> oh boy. so he's he's taking on intentionally taking on situations that are obviously calling out to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So the fifth and final principle is connecting with the audience, and we have alluded to this throughout uh, the four previous principles. So extraneous speech, you're relating to the audience through your authenticity and trying to connect with the audience through um, eye contact and not relying on a piece of paper or not memorizing and so much that you are in your head. Um, balancing clarity and precision with beauty and eloquence. So you are trying to appeal and connect to the audience logically as well as um, emotionally. And that kind of goes with the same thing with validity claims and value claims. So that is connecting with the audience um, so that they nod their head in agreement with your validity claim and also feel it in their gut. Um, when you make your value claims. And being aware of the context and responsive to the situation, um, really connecting to your audience with, um, so you're not presenting in a blanket kind of monotone way in that you think that every single time you present, you should be the same and you've kind of quote unquote like perfected your presentation that you can um, appeal to any sort of audience that is impossible in communication. You have to, be aware of the context and respond to that situation or the problem that is present. So the old, uh, what I use with in my advanced public speaking class is the to remember to connect before you convince. So people often want to persuade others in public speech, um, but the rule of thumb is that you need to connect with an audience before you convince that audience of anything. So that's the that principle of connecting with the audience first. Public speaking is an audience-centered, as all communication is, an audience-centered art. Uh, so, uh, Julie, is that it? Those are five principles? That is the five principles today, okay. and hopefully people do not um, feel so daunted um, when they are public speaking, because it's really not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> not that bad. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Julie. Uh, I'll be back with another episode on um, more public speaking practices soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening.